0: He is an openly gay man. My name is Pete Buttigieg. But what that really translated to me was he was an authentic human being. They call me Mayor Pete. Being involved in some way was the best antidote I had for the kind of despair I was feeling during the Trump administration, feeling that I was actually taking action and doing something. Fear and hatred has been legitimized, and it's going to take sweeping that aside for us to be fully confident about our rights.
1: to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Mexican marriage equality spreads to Tabasco and Idomex, Russian lawmakers consider no promo homo for adults, and Pete Fanboy promotes U.S. elections participation. Those stories and more this week because you found This Way Out.
2: I'm John Dyer V,
3: and I'm Wendy Natividad,
2: with News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending October 22nd, 2022. Civil marriage is now open to queer couples in the Mexican states of Tabasco and Estado de Mexico, or Idemex. Estado de Mexico, the state of Mexico, is the country's most populous. Seventeen million people in a region that almost entirely surrounds Mexico City call it home. Their legislature voted 49 in favor and 12 opposed for marriage equality with six abstentions on October 16th. In the southern state of Tabasco, the Congress approved a marriage equality bill on October 20th. That vote was 22 in favor and six opposed with seven abstentions. Including Edomex and Tabasco, there are now 30 states in Mexico with marriage equality. On October 19th, committees in the state of Camalipas' Congress cleared its own marriage equality bill. If that one passes, Guerrero will be Mexico's lone state holdout. The Federal District of Mexico City established marriage equality in 2009. The nation's highest court ordered it in 2015, but left each state to decide how to do it. Guerrero will have to get with the program soon.
3: If you blinked, you may have missed the shortest tenure of a prime minister in British history. Conservative Party PM Liz Truss admitted in her brief October 20th resignation speech, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. That mandate included her tax cuts for the rich economic package that failed to get support from her own party. She officially offered her resignation to King Charles III after all of 44 days at the top. Most LGBTQ people are happy to see Truss go. She had appointed a number of notoriously anti-queer ministers, many of whom echoed her anti-trans rhetoric. Some even voiced opposition to marriage equality. There's no telling how much better or worse the next Tory PM will be. Truss will stay at No. 10 Downing Street until the Tories select their new leader to be formally appointed to succeed her by the king. That makes two Conservative Prime Ministers with another in the wings over three months. Opposition Labour Party leader Keir Starmer is calling for a general election. He says, Britain is not the Tories' personal fiefdom to run how they wish.
2: Russian lawmakers are discussing an expansion of the law against the dissemination of so-called LGBTQ propaganda to minors. One proposal would extend the 2013 propaganda ban to adults. Violators can already be fined or even jailed. State Duma Information Committee Chairman Alexander Kinstein used the war in Ukraine and Western influence as an excuse this week, railing Our enemy really holds the propaganda of sodomy as the core of its influence. It's the chairman's propaganda that concerns the Russian Book Union. They sent an open letter to Kinstein warning that some classics of Russian literature could become the measure's collateral damage. They cited a scene in Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel Devils that describes child sexual abuse a monologue from Alexander Ostrovsky's play The Storm that could be viewed as suicide propaganda, and an excerpt from Mikhail Bulgakov's novel Morphine that could be considered drug propaganda. Lawmakers are reportedly also considering a law to deport foreign nationals thought to be promoting LGBTQ
3: propaganda. Maybe such a move to deport queer-promoting foreign nationals would help get U.S. basketball all-star Brittany Griner out of Russian hands. Griner spent her 32nd birthday in a Russian prison on October 18th, showered with messages from well-wishers. As negotiations for her release continue, the Kremlin is now howling about the arrest of the son of a prominent Russian official and close Putin ally. U.S. officials detained him in Milan on charges of money laundering and evading sanctions. Ironically, the official response from Moscow accused the Biden administration of taking hostages for political purposes. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre refused to speculate when asked if the U.S. was upping the ante for a prisoner exchange that would include Greiner and former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, who's serving a 16-year sentence in a Russian prison on trumped-up espionage charges. Greiner has been jailed in Russia since mid-February, soon after Putin launched his unprovoked war on Ukraine. Convicted of illegal distribution of medicinal cannabis vape cartridges that she had accidentally left in her luggage, she's been sentenced to the near maximum nine years in a Russian prison. Biden and Putin are expected to be at the G20 Economic Summit in mid-November in Indonesia. The U.S. president has said he'll only meet directly with Putin if Greiner's release is part of the conversation. Greiner was able to respond to her birthday messages on social media to say, All the support and love are definitely helping me. Her wife, Sherelle and a number of WNBA players renewed their campaign this week to demand her release. Greiner's attorneys told the New York Times that she's not doing well in cramped quarters at a Russian penal colony. They say the conditions there are borderline inhumane.
2: A U.S. college football player made history this week. Hampton University defensive lineman Byron Perkins became the first Division I player at a historically black college or university to come out as a gay man. A junior at the HBCU in Virginia, Perkins' Instagram post said, I will no longer be living a lie. No one should have to live a life crippled by what society thinks. Authenticity is everything to me. Perkins told Outsports.com in an exclusive interview that his coaches have been supportive and that the reaction from teammates has been mostly very good. He declared, I want people to know they can be themselves. It's about that kid who's going to see this and think he can be himself too.
3: High profile U.S. Republicans are not in the policy closet ahead of the crucial midterm elections on November 8th. They've already promised to push for a national abortion ban and to gut the vital social safety nets of Medicare and Social Security. This week, 33 Republican members of the U.S. House signed on to a bill to nationalize Florida's infamous Don't Say Gay law. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson is sponsoring the measure to ban federal funding of LGBTQ-inclusive instruction for students under the age of 10 in U.S. public schools. The Florida law is so vaguely written that teachers at every grade level in that state fear repercussions if they allow any discussion of LGBTQ identities in their classrooms. No Republican proposals will see the light of day, unless they win legislative majorities in the midterm elections. However, any regressive Republican-approved legislation would most certainly be vetoed by President Joe Biden, who still has two more years in office.
2: In Florida itself, the don't-say-gay law is getting new teeth. The Board of Education, appointed by anti-queer Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, voted to punish any teacher found to have said gay with the loss of their jobs under the Parental Rights in Education law. Suspensions or revocations of their credentials to teach in the state's public schools are possible. The board also voted this week to require public school officials to notify parents by mail and online if they allow students and staff to use gender-segregated campus bathrooms or changing rooms according to some criteria other than biological sex at birth.
3: A law to ban drag shows? Seriously, that's a real proposal being offered to the majority Republicans in Idaho's legislature. Idaho Family Policy Center leader Blaine Kanzadi told the Idaho Capital Sun, no child should ever be exposed to sexual exhibitions like drag shows in public places, whether that's at a public library or a public park. He compares drag to the racism of blackface in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Idaho LGBTQ activists say they'll mount a strong campaign against the bill, if it's ever actually introduced in the state legislature. Finally...
2: Multi-Emmy-winning satirist John Oliver schooled irrational transphobes in a recent installment of his HBO series Last Week Tonight, and it only took 30 seconds. As the writer
3: Julia Serrano has pointed out, when you look at a chart of left-handedness among Americans over the 20th century, you see a massive spike when we stopped forcing kids to write with their right hand, and then a plateau. That doesn't mean everyone became left-handed or that there was a rapid onset Southpaw dysphoria. <laughs> it means people were free to be who they f- were. And to the extent that some young people are just exploring their gender identity, how exactly is that a bad thing? Who the f- are they hurting? That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending October 22nd, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
2: News Rap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you.
3: Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Wendy Natividad. Stay healthy.
2: And I'm John Dyer V. Stay safe.
1: Hi, this is Greg Leganis. This is Janice Hean. And you're listening to This Way Out. You ain't gonna get this nowhere else.
0: Good news. Good news. Are you signed up for an you e-newsletter know? inside this way out? We send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show.
3: To receive the occasional Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at infothiswayout.org.
0: Thank
1: you. From Ukraine to the USA, democracy is on the line. Campaign fever and electoral fears are rising in the land that's always been thought of as the beacon of democratic participation. It's as exciting as it is scary for Paul Mason Barnes, the author of Paul for Pete, Politics, theater, life, one man's adventures, or how I became a Septuagerian fanboy. Barnes talked with Out in the Bay's Eric Jansen about his passion for the process and the candidate who lit his fire.
0: My name is Pete Buttigieg. They call me Mayor Pete. I'm a proud son of South Bend, Indiana, and I am running for president of the United States. The horror show in Washington is mesmerizing. It's all-consuming. But starting today, we're going to change the channel. What got you so fired up about Pete Buttigieg? Well, first of all, I think elections are in many ways about contrast. And after Hillary Clinton won the popular vote but lost the electoral college vote and Donald Trump became president, I was just plunged into a kind of ongoing pit of despair that only grew worse over his administration, and especially over those first two years, until we began to get into the Democratic primary. And suddenly, Pete Buttigieg declared his possible interest in running for the Democratic Party nomination. And he provided such a distinct contrast to what was in the Oval Office that that really reached out to me. Part of it, of course, had to do with the fact that he is an openly gay man. But what that really translated to me was he was an authentic human being. One of the things that was puzzling to me was some early reaction and maybe late reaction from, from the gay community about him not being gay enough, whatever that means. I think it was a gay columnist in the L.A. Times who described Pete as palatable. And I just thought, hmm, okay. Yes, I think he is. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. He is smart. He's opinionated. He doesn't hold back. And yet, I mean, he looks like your next door neighbor. And that's what this columnist meant by palatable. Yeah, exactly. If you are a Republican member of Congress, consider the fact that when the sun sets on your career and they are writing your story, Of all the good and bad things you did in your life, the thing you will be remembered for is whether in this moment with this president, you found the courage to stand up to him or you continue to put party over country. The book is not all about politics. You also talk a lot about theater. I didn't really know how the book was going to go when I sat down to write it. And at first it was going to be like a stocking stuffer for friends who put up with me while I was you know, volunteering for Pete's campaign. But then people said, you've got a book here, so you should approach it from that point of view. And I did. But you know, my work in the theater has taken me all over the country. And that enabled me to do the particular work I was doing on the campaign Anywhere I was, because it was all about connecting with people and raising funds, you know, which I could do and all all over the the country. country. Yeah. So, you know, I was an asset to the campaign in that sense, but I could do it, you know, mostly online, on zoo, whatever. So it was a great mix of theater and politics just meshing together. And then it turned out that Pete, who is married to a former theater teaching artist who actually you know, went to college with um, my partners and my great nephew, they were all doing theater together at University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire. So there's that weird little coincidence connection going on there. So it all felt strangely copacetic, integrated, you know, whatever the right word would be. So there's that, but there's also, you know, the trajectory of my life as an openly gay man dating back to the sixties and Stonewall, all the way through marriage equality, passing, you know, getting handed down by the Supreme Court and and beyond. In the book, you also get into your long relationship with your husband, Jim, right? Yeah. We met uh here at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in nineteen seventy-five. We've been together 47 years, and it's you know always been a very challenging and wonderful relationship because we are two non-traditional guys having careers in non-traditional fields. And so that's called for you know, a lot of non-traditional thinking and just playing by our rules and not adhering to anybody else's rules except our own. And you know, one of our major rules has been, we always say yes to each other's opportunities. Separation has always been a part of the relationship. It's just been a feature of it because of the kind of work we do. We talk, we communicate, and it's always been really interesting and really exciting. In the middle of Pete's campaign, Jim experienced a stroke, which has resulted in expressive aphasia, which is ironic for somebody whose life and career has centered on language as an actor and a director. So that holds true. And to be clear, expressive expressive aphasia means he has a hard time. It, talking. it's not so much he has a hard time talking as it's a hard time getting to the right word that he knows he wants to say and can't quite close that synapse. So, you know, it's a lot of, you know, recovery in that area. But he talks very freely. It's just getting the brain to access the word that he knows but can't quite say. So, you know, having that happen in the middle of Pete's campaign didn't slow me down much in the campaign because Jim wouldn't want that to happen. And you talk about this in the book too. You write yeah, about this Absolutely, level, right? Yep. Yep. In a big way. Let's talk about the midterms now. First of all, how important or crucial do you see these particular midterms coming up? I think they're really crucial up and down the ballot. And I think, you know, starting locally with school board elections, which are getting really scary, city council elections, which are getting really scary, all the way up to, you know, gubernatorial races and senatorial campaigns and the House of Representatives. I mean, of late, people, it seems to me, have been paying closer attention to the accomplishments of the Biden administration, which are, you know, spectacular. You know, when you add them all up and put them all together, what they've been able to accomplish, especially with such thin majorities in the House and in the Senate in particular. And so there seems to be, you know, a kind of wave that's beginning to happen that gives us hope that we're going to hold on to the Senate, possibly even increase the majority there and maybe not lose the House in the way that it's been predicted for the last two years. It's possible we might hold on to both. So it's crucial that people get out there and vote. You know, it's the one opportunity we have to truly make a difference. You know, it's true since the Dobbs decision that women in particular are just outraged. They're enraged and involved and registering to vote in greater numbers than we've seen for some time. And that's helpful. You know, and I think the Dobbs decision was a great wake up call for all kinds of Americans. Gay people, certainly, you know, when you read or listen to what Clarence Thomas had to say about reconsidering things like the Obergefell decision, all of those things may be up for grabs. We shouldn't relax about any of it. And we shouldn't relax just because things are looking more positive now than they were a month ago or two months ago. You know, we got to get out there and vote. We got to get out there and work. So how would you suggest that someone get involved? I mean, and maybe it sounds a little Pollyannish to say participate in democracy. Well, I think the first step is to contact a campaign that is of interest and concern for you, you know, whether it's a local election or something on a you know, more national scale. But just get in touch with the campaign, go to their website, and you will find someplace to click volunteer in addition to donate. Which you will see easily you can do phone banking, which I've done and which really sort of scared me at first when I considered the idea because then I'm making cold calls to talk about somebody who people may not want to hear about. Well, you know, you make 10 phone calls and maybe two people will pick up. I was always given a list of Democrat Party members, registered voters. And, you know, the point was to talk to them about Pete and to make sure they were getting out to vote, period. You know, so it wasn't as intimidating or as scary, but not everybody has an appetite for that. Being involved in some way was the best antidote I had for the kind of despair I was feeling during the Trump administration. Being active, feeling that I was actually taking action and doing something, that made a huge difference. With the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade and threats that are implied there to LGBTQ folks, to transgender people, personal body rights, personal integrity. What do you see for politics right now for the LGBTQ community? I just see there's a lot of work to be done. And we happen to be in an era, however long or short-lived it's going to be, in which fear and hatred has been legitimized. And It's going to take sweeping that aside for us to be fully confident about our rights. And I think we're fortunate in that the majority of Americans, first of all, are opposed to overturning Roe v. Wade. And the majority of Americans are in favor of gay rights and and marriage equality. And fortunately, we still have some politicians in office who are willing to do the right thing You know, fight for us. I just think this is one of those turning points or places where we are going to take a step or two back, but we have to keep working. We have to keep fighting until this movement of hatred and fear has somehow, you know, we've gotten rid of it. And it's not going to be just Donald Trump going to jail, but he has inspired people like Greg Abbott and people like Ron DeSantis and people like Tom Cotton. And, you know, a lot of high ranking politicians in the GOP are enacting policies that are in many ways, I think, worse than his policies. And it's just going to take us some time and we're going to need good people in the courts, which is another reason why we need to vote. So, I think it's there. I think it's happening. I think it's the right thing. I think, like Martin Luther King, that the road to, to justice is long and hard fought, and
1: we just have to keep going. That was Eric Jansen of Out in the Bay Queer Radio and Podcast, chatting with Paul Mason Barnes, author of Paul for Pete, Politics, Theater, Life, One Man's Adventures, or How I Became a Septuagerian Fanboy. Thanks to Christopher Beale for the original edit. You can hear the full interview at outinthebay.org. This Way Out is supported by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution.
2: More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank
0: you,
1: Author Paul Mason Barnes was just stressing the importance of the November 8th U.S. midterm elections for the future of LGBTQ rights. But in case you don't remember why...
0: MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. Notwithstanding those folks you hear on the other side there, they're entitled to be outrageous. This is a democracy. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters.
1: U.S. House of Representatives Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy then...
0: He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding.
1: And now...
2: Answer me this question. I see the disinfectant knocks it out in a minute. And is there a way we can do something like that Uh, by injection? Is America better off today than they were
0: two years ago? I will totally accept the results of this great... An historic presidential election. If I win, fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. MAGA Republicans don't have a clue about the power of women. (laughs) Let me tell you something. They are about to
2: find out. Oh, oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. Democracy is coming to
1: the USA. The queer media watch organization GLAAD has also released a pair of Get Out the Vote ads. Do you want to meet a family with a transgender kid? Here we
3: are. There are some politicians who are trying to tear my family apart simply because my son is transgender. Trans kids don't have a political agenda. They are just kids. They just want to be left alone. They have the same hopes and dreams and deserve the same equality as your child does. My family's just like yours. We love our kids unconditionally, and we will never stop fighting for them.
0: When the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, we both looked at each other and said, I think our family could be at risk. When we fought for marriage equality, we never thought that we would be at risk of having it taken away. Walking down the aisle was very special and something I never imagined would happen for me. We can no longer take for granted the rights that we thought were our protections. and marriage equality could be next.
3: Stand with us.
0: We all have to turn out to vote.
1: Make a plan to vote before Election Day.
0: It's important for all families.
1: Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from John Dyer V and Wendy Natividad, produced by Brian DeShazer and from Eric Jansen. Dennis O'Lee and the BG Adair Trio and Leonard Cohen performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out acknowledges the support of John Bopre and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KMUN Astoria, Oregon, 3CH Wooden Victoria, WHYS Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.